All right, what up, young adults? How we doing? All right. Hey, happy Thursday night. Happy Thursday night. If you are only watching online, you are missing out on the biggest party that happens in Denver. You are really dumb. Like, you just need to come, right? And you're like, but I'm safe behind my computer. Just get here, and it's going to be fine. So many nice people here. Welcome to Young Adults. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look so good. You look so good tonight. You look so good tonight. <laughs> hey, we are in... <laughs> Hey, we are in a new series that we dubbed Supernatural, Supernatural. And tonight, the question that I have for you, and I'm going to just get right into it because we don't got a lot of time. I don't want to waste your time. The question that I have for you tonight is simply this, is do you believe that a miracle is possible? Don't answer right now with your mouth, just answer with your heart. Do you believe that a miracle is possible for you? Not do you need a miracle, right? Because everybody in here, you know, the precursor to a miracle is that you have to have a problem. And every single one of you walked in here tonight and you have a problem. You have a problem. You have something in your life that needs a miracle. Uh, maybe for you it's a relationship that needs a miracle. There needs to be restoration and there needs to be a miracle. Maybe for you it's some type of ailment. It's some type of healing. You need a miracle. Maybe for you it's a financial problem and you need that set right. You need a miracle. But the question tonight is not do you need a miracle because every single person in here, what we all have in common is that we all need miracles. The question tonight is do you believe that it's possible for you to have a miracle? See, we live in a world right now that values the natural and that relies on the natural over the supernatural. There was a thing that happened in the 18th century called the Enlightenment. And during the Enlightenment, it was a time of, um, you know, honestly, a beautiful movement of scientific renovation. Um, it was called the Age of Reason. But prior to this time, everything was considered supernatural. Prior to this moment, everything, if the sun came up in the morning, it was a move of God. If the fact that you woke up in the morning and you had breath, it was because of God. If, um, if, you know, rains fell from heaven and they came down the mountains into the streams and into the valleys and there was a crop, it was because of God. It was a supernatural movement. But then the age of enlightenment happened. The age of reason happened. And suddenly the reliance was no longer upon what was supernatural, but the only thing that mattered at that point was what was natural, what was quantifiable. So empiricism and the scientific method and reductionism and all of those things are awesome. I think Doug proved that last, last week that science backs up everything we believe in, that it is not in competition with our Heavenly Father, that it only is a testimony to who He is and how intricate He is. But... From that point on, our society, our world, we began to focus on what was natural and rely on what was natural, and yet we are a culture that is dying for the supernatural. I used to wait tables, and I remembered one night, like, people would just come to me and ask about God, and they'd be like, wait, you don't have sex? 
I'm so confused. And I'd be like, well, you want to talk about it? Wait, you pray? Let's talk about it. You know, like, and I just was like, awesome. Like, they would come to me, and I would answer questions, and it was amazing. And there was one night, this guy, Jason, walked up to me, and he was like, hey, 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 um, I have a question for you, Jess. I just, well, actually, it's more of a statement. And I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, I watched that movie, Religious, but with Bill Maher, and I agree with him. And I was like, well, I haven't seen the movie, so what do you agree with? And he's like, that there is no God. I don't believe in God. And I literally was like, <laughs> I go, so Jason, you've never had anything supernatural happen in your life. I don't believe you. And he goes, well, well, no. I mean, okay, I have, I've, had, I've had some supernatural stuff, um, but I don't know what I think about the Bible. And I was like, okay, bro, well, let's start there. Let's start there. But here's the deal is that he was experiencing the supernatural, but he only wanted to rely on the natural. And we have a crisis right now where we only want to rely on the natural, and yet what we need, what we crave, is something that is beyond the natural, that is supernatural in nature. I wonder tonight if you wandered in here and you are living in the realm of the natural, but what you really need is something supernatural to happen in your life, and not tomorrow, but tonight. We serve a supernatural God. What is supernatural for us is natural for him. What is supernatural for us is normal to our Father. We serve a supernatural God. And so the question for us tonight is simply this. Do you believe that a miracle is possible for you? I titled tonight, A Miracle Can Happen Now. A miracle can happen now. I'm going to pray for us and for people watching online. Jesus, we thank you. God, I thank you for your closeness to me. I thank you that tonight I have asked you to move inside of me and inside of these people. I ask for nothing less than the impossible in every single person's life in here. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, so have any of you heard of the blogger uh, Jamie, the very worst missionary? Anyone? Two, oh, it's fine. This is not relevant then. It's fine. All right, so there's a blogger out there. Her name is Jamie, the very worst missionary. And when I read that, I was like, yo, Jamie, uh, kind of jumped the gun, girl. I almost want to call you a liar. Like, if you were to talk to me beforehand, I think you took the title a little early because I am the very worst missionary. Like, I am the worst missionary, and I will do missions from now until the day that God takes me. Like, I still want to do missions, but when it comes to me and, and my need for, like, towels and a shower, like, I am the very worst missionary ever. And the pinnacle, the pinnacle of me being the worst missionary ever, like, for me was this trip that I took to Nepal, okay? And it was a month long, okay? So it was 29 days too long for homegirl, Okay. <laughs> and I traveled to Nepal, and we eat this, and I, the whole goal while we were there is to sell Bibles and to sell, you know, uh, we would sell Bibles, and we would sell Christian literature to the people there, and we would hike the Himalayas. We would go to, you know, unreached people groups. It was super cool, um, but that was what I did, right? And um, the entire time, I ate this thing called dalbat, which is like rice and lentil soup, okay? And it's gross, Okay. <laughs> And I ate it three meals a day, every day, for 30 days. And if I happened to get chicken, there would be, like, bones in it, right? And, um, and my girlfriends were like, yo, Jess, you just, you are a really bad missionary. Um, 
And so we're gonna give you a job, okay? And your job is when we get to our hut, your job is to kill all of the spiders because you're kind of worthless otherwise. And I was like, I can do this, okay? And so um, my job was, and guys, I, I, as truly as I stand before you, this is a true story. I would walk into our hut and I was just like, oh boy, because they would just chill, man. These spiders had lived for generations. <laughs> And they were the size, I'm not over-exaggerating, of my hand. And I have like midget, midget circus hands, but they were the size of my hands. And I would take off my Chaco, because you're not a good Christian in college unless you have Chacos. And I would slap those suckers, and there would be like four per hut at least a night. And I just remembered like being like, I hate this place. I hate being a missionary, right? And... The, the, the peak of me hating my mission work, though, was when we were doing this switchback mountain in this, like, school bus with, like, and it's loaded with people who are stinky, right? And it's got chickens and, like, goats everywhere. And I'm sitting in the front seat. For those of you who are unaware of Hindu culture, they believe in reincarnation, okay? They also um, worship cows because they believe that they're sacred. And so they've got this weird thing going on with their animals, right? Their animal could be their aunt or could be their grandma. You don't know could come back as a, as a cow, as a frog. So I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the front seat and I'm just like, oh, and I'm kind of sick. And I'm like, Lord, I hate being a missionary. You know, like just like that. And this, this, this Hindu guy walks up to me and he goes, and he's like swatting me out of my seat. And I'm like, whoa, bro, like, whoa, where I come from, we have chivalry, dog. And like, like, don't swat me. Like, I don't understand, right? And I'm so American. And he's like, and then he lifts my elbow. And I'm like, what? Like, stop. And I like get up and I'm like, I do not understand. And then he sets his goat in my seat. And I was like, I hate Nepal. Like. I don't want to minister to anybody here anymore, right? And I'm laying in bed, and this is a true story. I was laying in bed, and I'm like, God, like, I don't, like, I don't have it in me anymore. And, like, I don't like this. And, God, like, do you have me here really? And I laid in bed, and I was like, I need a sign from you. And I would read Acts, and I would lay in bed, and I would say, God, give me a sign. Give me a sign. Give me a sign. Show me that you're real. And that there's a reason that I'm here. Show me, God, show me. I hate this place. Show me. And I would wake up every morning disappointed. See, I was looking for um, a miracle in the natural. I wanted to see something. I wanted to see a sign. I wanted to touch something. But what I really needed was something that was completely alternative to that. What I needed was a supernatural miracle that would revolutionize the faith in my heart my servanthood, my life. I wonder tonight if a whole bunch of us wandered in here and what you are needing is completely past the natural. What you are needing is something that can only be dubbed as a supernatural intervention in your life, in your heart. I wonder tonight if what you are needing is something more. And Jesus, in the Bible, performed his very first miracle, and it's in, uh, well, according to the book of John, his very first miracle, switch, and um, John 2, if you have it, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one, 
According to the book of John, this is his very first miracle, and it says this. It says, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Also, uh, Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, if you're a dude, only Jesus can talk like this. Woman, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification and each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some water and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when they took it to the master of the feast, uh, um, and when the master tasted the water that had now become wine, and, but he did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said, everyone who serves the good wine, everyone serves the good wine first. When the people have drunk freely, then you serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his many signs Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so this story is about Jesus' very first miracle, and it happens at a wedding. And a Jewish wedding, we've actually talked about this before, would last about a week. It would go Sabbath to Sabbath, okay? So like a Monday until the Sabbath. And so this is day three of the wedding, and in Jewish culture at this time, it was pertinent. It was a it was a it was a mandate that if you were a Jew, you were a good host. This is why Martha loses her business on Mary when Mary won't get up and help with snacks. She's like, yo, it's Jesus. Fritos and bean dip ain't gonna work, Mary. Get off your rump, right? And she's like, that's why she loses her mind because hospitality was a big deal. It is day three of this wedding. If you were the wedding host, if you were the bride and the groom, you needed to provide enough food. You needed to provide enough drink. You needed to provide everything that your guests would need for six days. And it is day three. And they run out of wine. And Mary walks up to Jesus and she's like, whoa, we got a problem. And We'll get to this later, but she's probably involved in the wedding somehow. And she says, Jesus, they're out of wine. They're out of wine. What she's saying in this moment is, you are the only one that is able to fix this. You're the only one here able to solve the problem. This would be the equivalent of me walking up to John, like in our house, right? And I'm like, babe, 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 mouse in the kitchen. What I'm saying in this moment is, I am incapable I'm fixing this problem. <laughs> like, I'm going to hold Brooklyn, I'm going to hold Georgia, like, up on a stool, right? And I'm going to be like, <laughs> like, completely incapable. I love animals. I'm scared of mice. I've got this PETA activist thing going. I am not going to do anything about this problem. If anybody's going to do anything about this problem, it is going to be John. Babe, we have a mouse in the kitchen. Mary comes to Jesus. And she says, they're out of wine. And Mary knows. Mary knows who Jesus is because she raised him. Listen, there are recorded miracles of Jesus. I guarantee you that when we meet Mary in heaven, she's going to be like, oh, oh, hold up. You don't know what he did when he was eight. (laughs) 
Like she's sitting there with her soup and she's bummed because it's cold and she's like, son? <laughs> and he's like, mom. <sighs> right? Or like, like the family pet or like, you know, like the family cat ran out and it got like, well, no, Jesus wouldn't have a cat. The, the, the family... <laughs> the, the, <laughs> The family animal ran out into the street, right, and it got hit by a chariot, and like James is out there, and he's like, my dog. And, and Mary walks in, and she's like, Jesus, dude, you got it. Your brother, he is losing it. Go do something. And he's like, mom. And she's like, son. <clears throat> and he's like, cool. And he's like, it's cool, James. Scruffy just passed out, you know. It's cool. And James is like, you know. Mary knows who Jesus is. And so she looks at him and she says, they're out of wine. They're out of wine. And what she's saying in this moment is, you are the only one in this house capable of doing anything. God is the only one capable in your house of doing what you need to have done tonight, young adult. He is the only one in your house capable of doing what you need done tonight. And so there's just a couple things I want to talk about when it comes to Jesus' very first miracle. And the first thing is this, is that miracles, a miracle is personal. A miracle, church, is a personal affair. According to every commentary I, wrote, uh, I read when I was studying uh, John 2, this wedding would have been uh, to someone that was very close to Jesus, to maybe a family member or a close friend. Some scholars say that it was Nathaniel's wedding, the disciples. Some scholars say um, that it may have been J James's wedding, which is why Mary was so heavily involved with the wedding. It might have been his brother's wedding. Some scholars say it was John's wedding. Now listen, this is really funny because John wrote the book of John. And I love that he, you know, it's kind of weird that he didn't include his name, but John all throughout the book of John is like, oh, the disciple that Jesus loved. And he's talking about himself. <laughs> so, so John has this issue of loving to talk about himself, but like not talking about himself because that would be self-absorbed, right? And so, so, which side note, if you are in here and you feel like you are Jesus's favorite, favorite child, you are right. You're right. John was right. Regardless, though, no matter what, Jesus was close to whoever was at this wedding. He was close to whoever um, was in charge of this wedding. Listen, it was a personal miracle. It was a personal affair for Jesus and for the people involved. It was a big deal. And Mary comes to Jesus, and she says, they're out of wine. And he's like, oh, woman, like, don't involve me, you know, the whole thing. And then she looks at her servants, and she's like, do whatever, he's getting, whatever, he, whatever he wants you to do, do it. And he says, line up six purification jars. And these purification jars would have been like, would have been like um, 30 gallon trash cans. One, two, three, four, five, six. Filled to the brim with water. And they would have been there so that the Jews could have performed purification rites. They would have been there so that the Jews could have, um, should, could have cleaned, their, cleansed their hands, so that they could have been religiously pure, so that until the Sabbath, they could have remained religiously and custom pure in front of the party. That was why the water jars were there. I think it's interesting 
that at this point in history, Jesus uses these purification rite jars to perform his very first miracle. At this point in Jerusalem, at this point for Israel, they were very accustomed to having outward religion. They were very accustomed to performing rituals and rites and purification rites. But listen to me. They had done all of that and they had trumped having God in their hearts. In other words, they knew how to look the part, but they were neglecting God in their hearts. I think they sound a lot like us. You came in here tonight and listen. I know you because I know me. And you're raising your hands in worship and you are trying to be a good Christian and you are trying to perform as a Christian and you are trying to do a good job. You're trying to be neighborly. You're trying to be right to your boss. You are trying so hard to look the part. So hard to be a good Christian. You are trying so hard to do right by Jesus. You are trying so hard. And Jesus is like, look, I love, I love, I want you to be pure. I want you to be holy. But if it is a facade, if it is a show, if it is just covering up your broken and dressed heart, it's a problem. He's like, what I am more interested in is using these things, using this apparatus that you are using to try to perform, that you are using to try to put on a good show. I want to use that to do a miracle inside of you. That's what I want to do tonight. It is personal to me. That's what Jesus says. It is personal. And so for his very first miracle, he does something that is completely close, completely personal. All throughout the New Testament, when he would heal people, it was personal. He heals a leper. It's personal. He heals the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, over a decade, who can't be with other people, who can't hang out with her family. That's personal. Miracles are not some theatrical display for the enjoyment of the masses. It is a personal, supernatural movement of God for the empowerment of the individual. That is how God works. If the masses see the miracle, great. But do you know who the miracle is for? It's for you. It's personal. A miracle is personal. He wants to get up close in your issue. He wants to get up close in your heart. He is more concerned about what's going on on the inside. And maybe for you tonight, it's a promotion that's personal. Maybe for you, it's a boyfriend or it's a girlfriend that you need a miracle that's personal. Maybe for you, it is your heart and the way that you feel right now. Maybe for you, it is an addiction that is personal to you and Jesus wants to be a part of what is close to you. Listen, God loves you more than you love you. Psalms 37 says this, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know what that scripture is saying? It's saying that God will get, or I'm sorry, you will get what you want when God gets what he wants. And what does God want? He wants you. He wants your heart. He knows that a miracle is the quickest way to get close to you. So a miracle is personal. The second thing that a miracle is, is a miracle is possible. A miracle is possible, church. It is possible. Mary comes to Jesus. She's like, she says, Jesus, Jesus, they are out of wine. Because she knows who he is. And she knows that it's possible. Not only that, she knows that it's probable. She knows that what he is capable of doing. She knows. And do you know that sometimes one of the greatest things that I think we need, we need to know that something is actually possible for us. We need to know that it's not a pipe dream, that it's actually possible, that this miracle is actually possible. Bethany Hamilton, 
soul surfer, she is quoted as saying, I don't need easy. I don't need to believe that something's easy. I just need to believe it's possible. There's so many people in here, and you need to know that a miracle is possible for you. Maybe you have had a relationship struggle. You have had a family dynamic, and for years it has sat dormant. Maybe you have a dream, and it has sat on ice for a decade. Maybe for you it's a, it's a financial issue that has not corrected itself. Maybe for you it's an addiction that has overcome your adult life and your heart and in your mind you want to believe it's possible, but if you are being honest, there is a hint of skepticism about this actually being possible and in your heart you think, impossible. It's not possible. It's impossible for me. In the 1950s, it was dubbed by coaches and athletes and people all across the world that breaking a four-minute mile was humanly impossible. People would say there would be, you know, there would be press releases about how it's humanly impossible. The, the man, mankind and our bodies cannot run a sub-four-minute mile. That's what they would say. And in 1954, um, there was a man named Roger Bannister. He was an Englishman. Hello, Chip. It's the Brits. And so he gets in the blocks and he has some friends helping him set a pace and he broke the record and he ran a three minute, 59 second point four mile. Two months after that, two months, a man named John Landy and Roger Bannister, they both raced and they both, they both broke a four minute mile. A few months after that, everybody was doing it. Why? Because in their minds and in their hearts, it was impossible. And all of a sudden, it was completely possible. It's totally possible. It could happen. And if it could happen, it's probably going to happen. And if it's probably going to happen, I believe it can happen to me. There are so many people in here, and you need to know it's possible tonight. There have been seasons of my life where I have gone from believing something is completely impossible to me to God just saying, hey, it might be possible. And all of a sudden, like, my prayer life is 100, and my focus is 100, because if it's possible, then it's probable. And if it's probable, it probably will happen. It's just a matter of God's timing and God's plan. You need to know tonight that whatever you are dreaming about is possible. It is possible for you. But listen to me. A miracle is possible, but it is also conditional. It is conditional. The Bible says this. It says in John 2, when the wine ran out, Jesus said to, uh, I'm sorry, the mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do to me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. Miracles are completely possible, but miracles are conditional. There is a part in our lives that only God can play, only God can do. And there is a part that only humans can do. There is, a, there is a precursor, and it always comes first. And, and she looks at the servants, and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. I wonder tonight if you are doing whatever he tells you to do. See, Moses raised his hand and his staff first, and then the Israelite armies began to overcome their enemy by the power of God. David 
he threw the rock first, and then God made him fall, made Goliath fall. Joshua and his band of peeps, right? They circled Jericho seven times and yelled out, and then the miraculous power of God made the impregnable city of Jericho completely overcome. First, the servants filled up the tubs to the brim with water. I wonder, is there something in us, is there something in our lives tonight that we are not being completely obedient? We are not, you know what? We are looking to God for a miracle and he is looking to us like, trust, like trust me. Give us a miracle. Trust me. I told you to do this. Would you just trust me? Would you just stop hanging out with that person? Please. I already asked you like nine times. I gave you a scripture. What do you want? I told you, I told you to give that money. I told you to give that money away. Please, trust. Trust, Jesse. Trust. I told you. I already told you to do that. I wonder, are we being completely obedient with the things that God has asked us to do? The Bible makes it very clear that every single miracle first came with a human doing something they needed to do that was obedient and that came first. A miracle is possible tonight, but a miracle is conditional. And listen, this is the last thing. A miracle only happens, a miracle can only happen if Jesus is present. A miracle can only happen if Jesus himself is present. Mary says they're out of wine. They're out of wine. And he says this, to Mary, he says, my hour has not yet come. Woman, don't involve me. My hour has not yet come. And I always thought that that meant, when he was saying that, when Jesus was saying that to Mary, that his hour of becoming um, Messiah, that his hour of, of doing miracles, that his public ministry was not yet. That's what I always thought, like the messianic secret, right? Like, I always thought that that was the deal. But then he performs a miracle right after that. So then my thought about that gets a little bit confusing. And so I was reading a commentary this week, and what it said was that um, what Jesus in the language he was using was trying to communicate, they have not yet involved me here yet. My hour has not yet come. They have not involved me yet. They haven't invited me in yet. It's not my time yet because they haven't let me come close yet it was 2012 and John and I were trying to um, have our very first baby and I've told this story before but for the first couple of months we were trying and, and um, I would take a test and it would come back negative and then a few more months went by and I started seeing doctors and trying to figure out what was wrong with my body or what was wrong with me and a year finally goes by, and people would tell me, I would sit down at coffee with friends, and they'd be like, oh, it's normal. Most people say it takes about a year, but it didn't seem normal. <laughs> it didn't feel normal. And I had an anxiety that I attached to um, pregnancy tests. I would, I would cry almost every time I took one because of all of the negative emotions. You know, it was so personal to me. So personal to me. And I remember sitting on the edge of a bathtub and I started crying with John. I started crying with my husband and I just was like, I don't know if I believe him. I don't know if I believe that it's possible. And John was like, well, Jess, he's still king. 
and he's still God. And so I started switching up my prayers because I wasn't going to leave Jesus. I wasn't going to abandon Jesus and I wasn't going to let him abandon my heart. I was going to continue to bring him my heart. And so I said, God, I need you to do a miracle in my heart and I need you to actually change my heart about children. Or I need you to be, give me a miracle and give me a child. I need a miracle. I need you to either change my heart supernaturally because it would have been a supernatural movement or I need you to change the baby. And so I'm worshiping with a bunch of staff members at Red Rocks. We would pray every day for like a month. It was the month of June. This was a few years back. And I remember praying and God just said to me, go to Psalm 113. And I read it and it was like, and the Lord lifts the broken people out of the depths. And the Lord takes the man who is in the ashes and lifts him out. And the Lord sets you up upon a And I was like, sweet. Thank you. And then at the very bottom of that text, it said this. It says, the Lord settles a barren woman, meaning a girl who can't get pregnant, in her home, a blessed mother of children. I started to cry. My friend Andrew came over and he said, what did the Lord tell you? I said, he told me that I'm gonna get a miracle. And about 10 months later, we, we had Brooklyn Diane Miracles are possible. But I wonder tonight if you have invited Jesus in to your issue, into your problem. I wonder tonight, have you let him come close? I wonder tonight, have you let him in? See, Mary was the one that came on behalf of the bride and the groom. And she says, Jesus, they have no wine which is great, but I kind of almost wondered if it would have been better if it was the bride and the groom themselves. Listen to me. It is cool if your mom prays for you and says that Jesus needs to intercede and needs to do a miracle on your behalf. That's cool. It is cool if your pastor prays on your behalf and says, Jesus, do a miracle inside of them. Relieve them of this addiction. Relieve them of this depression. That's cool. But do you know what is better than that? It is you saying, Jesus, come into my issue. I need a miracle tonight. And so if everybody could stand. And if the prayer team could come up front. This is what we are asking for tonight. Listen to me, miracles are possible. And if they're possible, I felt like God, the only thing God wanted me to tell you tonight is it's possible. That's it. That's what I felt. He, he has me here tonight to tell you. It is possible. That dream, you give it to him, you lay it down to him, you, you hand it over to him, he will take it and he will tenfold. That brokenness that you have with that family member, that unforgiveness that you have, that, that, that depression, that anxiety, that issue, he will break it, but you have to invite him in. John always says that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't go anywhere that he is not invited. Would you invite him tonight into your issue? Miracles are personal. He wants to do something that isn't just going to be, listen, he didn't do miracles for the crowd. He didn't want to do miracles for the crowd. That's a show. He wanted to do miracles for the person 
and the crowd got to watch. Some of you are in here and you're like, I just want to see the Lord regenerate a, a limb. No, you want to see Jesus free you from depression. You want to see Jesus free you from anxiety. That's what you want. You don't want to see Jesus heal somebody else of their deafness. You don't want to see Jesus, you know, you know what you want? You want to see Jesus unite our nation. You want to see Jesus bring us into a new realm and into a new place of faith. That's what you want. And so ask for something personal. It is possible, and because it's possible, it's probable. God will do it if you will invite him in during worship tonight. If you would just ask him, invite him in. And with every eye closed, I just want to pray specifically, God, for a miracle tonight and people that need freedom from anxiety and um, people who need freedom from depression, a miracle for people who need restoration and who need forgiveness, God, who need um, to be free from their addiction, God. I pray specifically for the addiction of pornography, God, that you would free tonight in Jesus name God that that tomorrow it would be supernatural that there would be that it would be no more that there would be a line in the sand that people cross into tonight and that God you would meet us here Jesus I love you I know that you are capable God if we would only invite you in and so we pray for miracles tonight we pray this in Jesus name